Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. David Ramil of the Locked On Heat podcast, as well as covering all things NBA. And David, really appreciate you joining us this afternoon. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's just look at just a few get first few games of uh, the NBA playoffs so far, and, and some of the teams that you've been really impressed by because. Uh, as, as I mentioned, it seems like there's just so many different teams that you could choose from in winning the NBA title this year. Uh, is there one in particular that you're giving the nod to or that you're giving the, the favorite to, or is it just one of those hodgepodge groups where you, like us, can't really figure out who's going to win this all when it's all said and done? Well, you have to give credit to the two teams in the Western Conference that have looked like they were title contenders all season long. That's the Phoenix Suns and Golden State Warriors. Now, the Golden State team, had some ups and downs throughout the season because they were dealing with injuries and things of that sort. But their offense has been absolutely on fire. Uh, they look like they've really tapped into something fantastic with Jordan Poole and bringing Stephen Curry off the bench. They've been phenomenal. Their three-point shooting, their defense, et cetera. So that looks like a collision course between those two teams, just as many of us expected it to be earlier in the season. In the East, that's a lot more up for grabs. You've got Philadelphia looking pretty good. Miami obviously handling Atlanta in one game so far. But you can't discount the reigning champion Milwaukee Bucks, nor can you discount Brooklyn and Boston as well. Those two teams, uh, really competitive game one, came down to a final buzzer beater by Jason Tatum, and they look pretty good as well. So it is certainly a a number of teams that look like they're at least aiming for a title contention. I'm not sure how it will eventually play out either, but it looks like it's going to be a fun ride regardless. David, did you make uh, NBA Finals picks before the playoffs started? Did you have a pick from the East and from the West? Uh, I, I did not officially, but my picks would have been Phoenix and actually the team I cover. I know it's going to sound somewhat homerish, but I think Miami is built for a, a, a good long run in the playoffs. They've got the depth. They've got the experience. They've got and just enough talent to be able to, to dispose of some of those other more talented teams in the Eastern Conference. So I'd say it's Phoenix and Miami. Are they being overlooked as the number one seed? Because most times when people are talking about the East, they start with the Bucks as the defending champs, talking about the Sixers with the moves they made. And if the Nets could get all their things together, then the Nets are talked about. And it seems like the Heat are kind of overlooked from people on the outside. Yeah, I'd say so. They haven't been on national television a lot. I know that was recently a topic of discussion uh, for Bam and Abaya when he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. This is probably the most switchable big in the NBA, a guy who can actually guard all one through five on the floor and does so pretty handily, and yet he was discounted, didn't get the award. He wasn't even a finalist for the consideration. And so when you look at the best teams in the East, they don't have the top talent. Uh, They don't have anything sexy or fun. They're just a a team that beats you with their defense and their three-point shooting, which is a recipe for success, just as it is for Golden State. But they don't have the same star power. They don't have the big names. They just go out there follow their game plan, execute well, and that's why that's why they're the number one team in the Eastern Conference. So absolutely they've been overlooked, but this is the recipe for success throughout the playoffs as well. Well, and it's so close in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you're talking about uh, Miami that won 53 games, and then you got three teams at 151, and then 48, and then 46. I mean, it was such a tight race, and I think that yeah. that's uh, another thing about Miami is just like, yeah, they, they've been a great team too, but, I mean, you're just talking about a couple of games – the difference between some of these teams and, of course, the defending champs and the Bucks too. Uh, I, I feel like they've also been overlooked. But you mentioned them being built for the championship run. What, what is it about them that you, you make that comment of saying that they're built for? What about them is making them built for that run? 
Well, they've acquired players this past offseason that had just won championships. P.J. Tucker obviously won one last year with Milwaukee. You've got Kyle Lowry, who won one with the Toronto Raptors. Even Marquise Morris, who's coming off the bench, a former Laker who won one in the Orlando bubble. So they've got that experience. They've got the the, the franchise itself is built for contention. They, they, they know what it takes to get to the NBA Finals. And they're built with that kind of mentality of, you know what, let's just focus on winning every game. They, they, they won handily in game one. They beat the Hawks. And from the point that that game ended, they were already looking ahead and saying, you know what, 15 more to go because this is the team built to win a title. They, they knew that when they were acquiring older players that are somewhat past their prime because they plugged in certain holes in their defense or provided veteran leadership and things of that sort. And again, between Eric Spolstra, who is a finalist for Coach of the Year, I think he knows how to get the most of his players, whether you're an undrafted rookie or you're a 15-year veteran, he knows how to get the best out of you. And again, I think tie all that together, and it just, it just usually works into a winning recipe, as we've seen from Miami so often in the past. Who's the most important player on that roster not named Jimmy Butler? It's Bam Adebayo. He's the heart of their defense. He does so much for them defensively. And again, Miami's defensive principle is one where every player out on the floor switches, and it starts with Bam. And he said it recently, Eric Spolstra did. You can't do what you do defensively as a team without having Bam as your linchpin, which is why he believed Adebayo should have been defensive player of the year. You start with him, you've got your point guard bringing the ball down, and all of a sudden you've got a big, burly, six foot nine forward center who matches you step for step and has enough quickness, has quick hands, deters you from either getting a good look, making the right pass, et cetera. And then from there, that kind of defensive presence leads to a turnover. You get Jimmy Butler kind of freelancing, kind of like a, a football free safety where he can just go in there and, and poke the ball or steal it from you, ignite a fast break. Kyle Lowry, similarly, does a really good job defensively. But Bam Adebayo, despite the fact that he's not very productive offensively, he just doesn't have to be. It's defensively what he does that makes Miami so unique and such a contending team. David, we know that uh, there's a lot of playoffs left as well, but uh, just looking at the Eastern Conference specifically, uh, you mentioned the Celtics game, which they, they had a big one against the Nets and the Bucks and the 76ers all kind of being right there into the mix as well. Uh, wh- what do you make of uh, the series that those teams are going to be in specifically? And uh, also the Celtics where they kind of got a bad draw where they had to play the Nets where they have a uh, very healthy Kyrie and Kevin Durant both in that series too. Yeah, that's why uh, Miami had to go out there and, and try to get the first seed in the Eastern Conference to avoid the Nets. It was a, a recipe and it worked. Uh, as far as that series between the Celtics and the Nets, that's, that's a really fun series. On paper, so far game one has already been one for the ages coming down to the wire. You've got a great defense led by Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. You've also got an up-and-coming star in Jason Tatum, uh, an all-star, a potential all-star in Jalen Brown as well. Just a really well-built team, a really well-coached team. They had their struggles early in the season, but they just focused on continuing to find the right recipe for success. They've kept to their identity, and they've improved over the course of the season. And towards the end of the season, they were one of the hottest teams in the NBA, and it seems like it's continuing into the playoffs as well. And then, of course, just got top-end talent in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and potentially even the return of Ben Simmons at some point in this first-round series. He hasn't played all season long, but if he can go out there and contribute at least some high-level defense, it's the bare minimum of what they can expect from him. All of a sudden, this team becomes much more dangerous. Like, if there's a question mark about the Brooklyn Nets, it's not their offense. 
you can just kick the ball to Kyrie or Kevin Durant, and you know they're going to be able to get a bucket. But defensively, that's been the biggest problem. But if Simmons can go out there and just provide some high-level defense for a few minutes at a time, this is a team that can also be very, very dangerous. Phoenix Suns had the best record in the NBA, and they played the most consistent and the best ball throughout the season. But at this time, with the Warriors and Suns, who would you say is playing the better ball? Well, we haven't seen much from Phoenix aside from one game over, you know, not a particularly great New Orleans Pelicans team, so you still have to give them the nod. They're, they're, the Warriors are a little bit more combustible to me. Just that, well, that we saw yesterday in Game 2 versus the Dallas Mavericks where they're just putting a stranglehold on a team there, uh, and, and they just they were able to dominate and pull away from them and, and cut key situations there. They just they find a way to catch fire, but I think Phoenix has been the better team offensively, Golden State has been a lot of fun to watch. And at the same time, I, just, I don't know how sustainable it is. If they're just one injury away from a Steph Curry or even a Jordan Poole, and we saw that throughout the course of the season. I guess you could say that about a lot of teams. But right now, the steadying presence of Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns, to me, they're the better team right now. But it's still going to be a fun series. I mean, if you see those two teams in a series, I imagine it would probably go seven, just because you've got great defense on the Phoenix side of things. You've also got great defense from Golden State. You've got great potent offenses. The three-point combustibility of Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. Then you've got the mid-range game of Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Two very, very good teams. I'd have to give the slight edge to Phoenix at this point. You know, I know we talked about Miami and uh, maybe not getting talked about enough, but is there a dark horse that you see in the playoffs right now that you, you would say has a chance of uh, at least making it to the NBA Finals or even winning it that maybe is not getting talked about a lot, maybe one of those lower seeds? Well, in the Eastern Conference, not necessarily, just because there's so much parity between those top five teams. But in the West, you have to really look at Memphis. I mean, they've been so good throughout the season that they're just not getting the kind of credit they deserve. They're a lot of fun, young team, great defensive principles, really well coached, and then they kind of go out there and get beat pretty easily by the Minnesota Timberwolves in Game 1. I don't look, you know, that was a lot of energy there. I don't think I take that game very seriously. It's just, I think Minnesota had a lot to prove, and I think they were able to execute their game plan pretty well. But Memphis has been the better team all year. They've got the superstar talent and John Moran, obviously. They've got, again, a great depth, great team principles, well coached. That team, I think, can certainly make a deep run. They'll just have to face a good Golden State team at some point in order to make their run to the NBA Finals. But either way, I think Memphis is certainly one of those teams that isn't getting that kind of credit. I guess he could probably make a strong case for Dallas. Right now, their series is tied one game all against the Utah Jazz, and they're missing their superstar in Luka Doncic. They've kind of reinvented themselves over the course of the year because they've just been a very good defensive team for a team last year that was very bad defensively. The new coach, Jason Kidd, has completely turned that team around in terms of what their identity is. Now they're a defensive team that has a superstar and Doncic that can really carry them far. So they've got potential. I, I just don't know if I necessarily buy them as the title contender this year. I think they're still one player away. But Memphis would be my pick as far as the most underrated team that has a legitimate shot at making the finals run. With that Grizz-Timberwolves series, it's a fun series. It's, it's a matchup of the top two scoring teams in the NBA from the season. Could it be a case of, and you mentioned the, the Wolves is possibly being that dark horse, but could it be a case of this could be a bad matchup because of the fact that you're talking about two teams that score a lot of points? Now the Grizz are the better defensive team, but when there's a matchup of two teams that score a lot, it can go either way, and it 
could be a bad matchup for them as a first-round opponent. It could be. I mean, that's certainly always a potential. But you know, if you stick to who you are as a team, you have that kind of identity that you build all year. And you know, that's swag that the Grizzlies have had all season long. Just that attitude that they can beat anybody. And they've gone out and actually beat everybody. So I think they were kind of missing that in game one. Minnesota kind of took that energy from them and were able to kind of build on that for an easy victory. But I think if Memphis can rediscover who they've been all season long, I don't think it's necessarily a bad matchup. They'll just have to continue to do what they do offensively. And then, as you mentioned, their defense has been better. That should be able to limit Minnesota. I think Minnesota got really lucky in some instances. Again, they were able to get into the playoffs via the play-in tournament. They had the momentum. They had the energy. They had something to prove because a lot of people were dismissing them because Memphis is the better team. And they went out there and established that physicality early on in game one. Having said that, I think Memphis will rebound pretty easily in Game 2 and probably make this a gentleman's sweep. I know that uh, it's really early and there's not been a whole lot of games, or at least in these series, too, but has there been anything that's really surprised you so far in the NBA playoffs? Anything specifically? Not necessarily. I, th- I think everything's kind of playing out the way it has. I mean, you look at uh, you know, Utah has struggled somewhat, but that's kind of been the recipe over the last few years. Uh, I think you know they're a team with superstar talent and Donovan Mitchell, and even their defensive player of the year candidate, Rudy Gobert, but that's just a team that does not look particularly good. I know the easy answer is that the Denver Nuggets and what's probably going to be the MVP this past season, Nikola Jokic, have struggled, but that's the team that was you know, built for regular season success, and unfortunately they just don't have the talent to be able to carry over that success in the playoffs. They just, they're missing several key players. Jokic can only do so much. Basketball becomes so much better. The intensity, everything about the game of basketball becomes reaches another level in the playoffs, and and that's why this Nuggets team is losing to the Golden State Warriors. They just don't have the players to be able to keep up with this potent offense and this really great Golden State defense. So I think a lot of people are looking at Jokic and the fact that they're down 0-2 against the Warriors and thinking he doesn't deserve to be the MVP. But you get the award based on the previous 82 games, and the fact that they were. The fact that he was able to carry this team just into the playoffs itself, I think, kind of strengthens his case more than anything else. And that's kind of why I think that's been somewhat of a surprise that they haven't been that uh, dominant as they have in the regular season. Something that's more up for grabs these days. Uh, best player in the NBA, LeBron has been that for a number of years. But if you had to say right now who's the best player in the NBA, maybe if you take LeBron out of the mix and we just go with players that are in the playoffs, who would you say is the best player in the NBA? Best player in the NBA, I think, is Giannis Antetokounmpo, another reigning MVP. I think he's been a fantastic player offensively, defensively. My, my second pick would probably be Nikola Jokic. I just think that there's a, a, a misunderstanding of what he does as a team player, the way he creates offense for himself and others on that team. And again, as I said, he's been carrying this team that's been lacking talent. But Adetokounmpo is, is clearly better than everybody else, maybe even better than LeBron at this point. He's, he's become a great playmaker. He's become an improved shooter, but his just dominance physically, everything that he does uh, as far as getting to the rim and being able to establish a presence in the middle, he's just been such a great player for the last couple of years, and I, I think he continues to be the league's best player right now. David, Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA. He's the first guard to do that since ninety five ninety six. Uh, with Gary Payton, which you know just shows how rare it is for a guy in his position to win it. 
Do you think that's more because of just showing how great Marcus Smart was defensively, or was it more so that you just didn't really have the, those big guys down low that normally win the award, that you just didn't have really anybody stand alone or uh, be able to uh, to make themselves be kind of sep- separating themselves and setting themselves apart from the rest of the field? Uh, you're kind of putting me on a spot here because I feel like uh, I'm going to continue to lean in towards what I mentioned before regarding Bam Adebayo. I think he just, I think he was the best player in the NBA regarding his overall defense and switchability and things of that sort. What Marcus does is incredible, no doubt about it. But you also had another defensive player of the year candidate in Robert Williams who was lost earlier in the year to injury. Uh, you had Al Horford, you have Jason Tatum, you have Jalen Brown, all great defenders. And so given that, I think what, Jay, what what Marcus has done, he's the head of the snake, certainly, but I don't think he's necessarily as impactful. And, and the defensive statistics are not perfect. They don't show what he does necessarily the same way points per game or rebounds per game do for offense. But the statistics show that he's not nearly as impactful as he's out on, when he's out on the floor as some of the other players that were defensive player of the year candidates. I think Rudy Gobert probably certainly has a strong case. And you're talking about big that didn't necessarily dominate. Gobert well, certainly does. I mean, he's, he's he's a wall in the middle. He's a great shot blocker. He's also a switchable player as well. He's a guy who can really kind of set the tone defensively for what Utah does. You have Jaron Jackson Jr. He was a worthy candidate as well in Memphis. And, and I think that you have Mikal Bridges in Phoenix. And again, that's another team that's really good defensively. So I, as far as the conversation about guards, I'm all I'm all for wings and guard players be candidates for this award. I also don't think that the bigs should necessarily get it just because of blocks per game or anything like that. I, I like the switchable factor of a guard being able to guard multiple positions, uh, multiple positions, be able to force turnovers and things of that sort. But if you're looking at it from just the best defender that I've seen this year, it has to be Bam Adebayo who, who missed a number of games due to injury. If you watch him play, and again, he made this case recently that they just don't get a lot of national television exposure. He can guard one through five, whether you're a big like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or you're a point guard like Chris Paul. David Abayo has guarded you at some point, and you probably come out losing in that matchup. Make the case for Eric Spolster for Coach of the Year. You lose Bam Adebayo for nearly two months of action. You lose Jimmy Butler for several months. You lose uh, Kyle Lowry for extended periods due to personal reasons. You have the most undrafted players on your roster in NBA history. Over half the roster was undrafted. And somehow, you're still able to win 53 games to win the Eastern Conference. You're going to go to the NBA Finals based on your overall talent, but you got to this point in general because of his coaching his strategy, and getting the most out of what those players can do, and that's why he's the coach of the year. Well, David, I think you put a good case on it, man. I know that uh, there's a lot of playoffs to go here in the NBA, but it's been entertaining so far, and let's hope it continues that way. But we appreciate you hopping on with us. Uh, Good luck and enjoy the rest of the NBA season, man, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll always be available to come talk NBA playoffs with you all. Thank you so much for having me.